volunteer work at a homeless shelter, her second term as PTA president, her position with the neighborhood town watch, and her never-ending process of redecorating her home and preparing not just healthful but delectable meals for family and friends. Sculling was merely the newest of Susan's many passions, and I knew from past experience that it was best not to interfere. For a time, she would be utterly consumed. It was all Nick's fault— Nick was the man I'd been seeing, and he had been rowing since high school. The first thing he did when he moved to Philadelphia the year before was to buy a new sculling shell and join a boathouse. And as soon as the winter ice had thawed, he'd begun rowing. Nick rowed when he was stressed or fatigued, when he needed to think or relax, when he needed to work off frustration or uncertainty. He rowed at all hours, often before dawn and in all weather. When Susan had complained that her thighs were getting flabby, Nick suggested that she take up rowing. Before I knew it, Susan had signed us both up for a learn-to-row class. I'd never have taken the class on my own, but Susan had insisted. Rowing would be good for us, less fattening than going to lunch, less expensive than shopping. Besides, she'd argued, forty-ish-year-old women like us needed to take action to resist rolling midriffs and the tolls of time. In the end, though, I took the class not because of anything Susan said, but because I was curious. What was this sport that lured Nick out of bed before the sun was up? For years I'd been intrigued by the long, sleek shells on the river, the elegant sway of the rowers, the synchrony of their oars. I'd wondered what it would feel like to be one of them, gliding on the water with silent strength and grace. But I'd been an innocent. I'd had no idea how all-consuming this new hobby could become— or how it would change our lives. By the time our six weeks of learn-to-row classes had ended, Susan had become addicted. She'd urged me to join Humberton Barge, one of the oldest rowing clubs on Boathouse Row, and she insisted that we practice daily, preparing to compete in the Schuylkill Navy Regatta, the first race of the summer. Susan may have been the instigator, but, in my way, I'd become hooked too. We'd even hired a coach— the controversial but esteemed Preston Everett, to work with us twice a week. A former Olympic champion, Coach Everett had the reputation of being both the most cantankerous and the most capable coach on the river. It had been Coach Everett who'd assigned us our boat, a double named Andale, and it had been Coach Everett who'd assigned us our positions. As bow, Susan was to steer the boat and give commands. As stroke, I was basically to keep quiet and obey her. This arrangement suited Susan perfectly. She enjoyed talking without interruption on any subject that breezed through her mind. As we rode, she often commented on the natural environment, the lush foliage along the banks, the egrets and loons, the turtles, the ducklings. Depending on her mood, she would rave or rant about her husband Tim and any of her three children. She talked about the clients she was defending, the rabid ferocity of prosecutors, the shoulders of the contractors working on her house, the price of slip covers for her sunroom sofa, a new chili recipe that was rich with chocolate, the outcome of her impending mammogram, how much weight she'd gained or lost, the burgeoning sizes of her teenage daughter's bras. She saw her role as bow as a license to speak uninterrupted for as long as she wanted about anything. Mostly I tuned her out, but buried in her monologue were occasional directions about rowing the boat— so I had to tune in at least marginally. We shoved off the dock, 
gliding gently away from the glowing lights of Boathouse Row. The water was smooth and sleepy, a dark mirror for the lights, and the boat slid along smoothly, undisturbed, leaving a rippling triangular trail. Rowing at night, I thought, might not be so bad after all. It was peaceful, romantic in a way. Maybe Nick would row with me some evening. I pictured it, the two of us alone on the river under the dreamy moon. Aft slide in two, Susan called, and stop splashing. Splashing? I wasn't splashing, or I hadn't thought I was. But I didn't say anything. Coach Everett had been very clear about boat behavior. The bow, and only the bow, was to speak. The bow was in command. Everybody else was to keep silent, back straight and eyes focused forward. They were not even to turn their heads. Watch your oars, Susan ordered. Watch them? What was wrong with them? And how could I watch them if I wasn't supposed to turn my head? Why? I called as I rode, aware that by speaking I was breaking a cardinal rule. What's wrong? You're still splashing. I was. With both oars? I had to shout. The river was quiet, but Susan was behind me, and I was faced away from her. And along this stretch of the river, sounds of traffic on Kelly Drive and the nearby expressway muffled our voices. Sometimes, she shouted back, and watch your slide. My slide? The slide is the part of the stroke when the legs bend as the rower's seat moves up from bow to stern. But what about the slide was I supposed to watch? Was it too fast, too slow, too early or late? Why couldn't she be specific? Was she being deliberately obtuse? Never mind, I told myself. Let it go. And relax your shoulders. Oh, boy. We hadn't rode five hundred yards yet. Was Susan going to comment on my every move for six more miles? Watch the splashing, she shouted, and give me pressure on port. More port. Give me more port. I gave her port, thinking about what else I wanted to give her. After we passed under the Girard Avenue Bridge, though, Susan changed her approach. We have to relax, she said. We? Our shoulders are tense. She'd begun referring to us as a single being. I took a deep breath, trying to focus, to inhale the warmth and calm of the night, the clear sky, the glassy water, anything but the cloying commands of the bow. We need to sit up tall, she said. I closed my eyes, centering myself. Coach Everett had told us to row with our eyes closed so we could sense the boat moving in the water. I closed mine to escape the squawking in the bow. No good. Susan kept it up. She began to narrate each stroke, start to finish in an annoying sing-song cadence. Hands away fast, swing with our bodies, now slow slide, roll our oars early and catch. Okay, I'd had enough. Susan, I called, still rowing. Can we just row? What? Please, just steer the boat and call the drills. Can you not talk so much? I'm the bow. I'm supposed to tell you what to do. But you're talking nonstop. I can't focus on rowing. All I can think about is you talking. Excuse me? She was appalled at my insubordination, stunned. I can't believe this. Let it run. That means we stop rowing. 
Our oars slapped the water as we floated to a stop. I twisted around to face her. What's your problem, Zoe? Susan demanded. You don't like me being bow? I didn't ask to be. Coach Everett made me bow. I have no problem with you being bow. Obviously you do. You can't stand not being in charge, even in a damned boat. This is about your control thing, isn't it? Oh, dear, she was making it personal. She knew me too well, knew what my issues were. Susan, no, it's not about me. I don't need to be in control. Really, not about control. Then what? Your trust thing? You don't trust me to be bow, is that it? You don't think you can rely on me? I closed my eyes and took a deep breath. Susan, this is not about trust or control. It's not about me. I really don't mind you being bow. I just mind you being the bow from hell. Whoops, that was harsh. I felt her recoil, wounded and defensive. How am I the bow from hell? You criticize my every move. No way, I do not. Oh, please, Susan. I'm just doing my job. I'm responsible for how the boat moves. You want to move the boat? Focus on your own rowing instead of mine. My rowing? What's wrong with my rowing? The conversation wasn't going well, but I couldn't stop myself. We're both beginners, Susan. Neither of us is perfect. I didn't say I was. You blame me for every little wobble. That's absurd. I do not. Alone in the middle of the river, we scrapped like an old married couple. Susan was my best friend, and I knew the fight wasn't worth it, but I was tired and cranky. We kept it up, jabbing, bickering, getting nowhere, and behaving badly. How about we both just shut up and row? I finally said. I sat in a